Lord, would you open our hearts this morning to hear and to obey your word. In your name, amen. Pardon me. So I was preparing for this message. I started thinking about transitions in life and uh, the feeling you get when you're heading from one, one sort of time in your life to the, another different time in your life. If you've had kids, you can kind of feel that usually. <laughs> There's a time before you've had kids and time after you've had kids. Um, but it also happens kind of like if you've ever taken a job and, and, or you've moved, you know, or um, and th- and there could be kind of sad ones too. Like if someone passes away, that often feels like there's kind of a before and after. And you can kind of feel that, that shift in your soul. And uh, so often we can't control those things in our lives. Um, they simply just sort of come our way, right? There's the, the announcement of a pregnancy or there's the sudden loss of someone or there's a diagnosis that's unexpected, or there's a job opportunity that comes up, whatever it might be. But there's good news and bad news in our lives, and often we can't control those things. And the Bible's full of those sorts of moments, and this text this morning includes one of those moments. It's a, it's a, it's a transition or a shift in the story, and it marks a shift in Jesus' own life. And we can... There's two things I want to I want to draw our attention to when thinking about those sort of shifts uh, in our lives and in the story. The first thing is that God is always present in those moments. Of course, God's present in all the moments, but God is present in those moments. And sometimes they can take us aback when they happen, and, and we can feel like God's not there. So the first thing to remember is God is certainly alive and present in those moments that can sometimes cause stress or sometimes be really exciting, whatever they might be. But those shifts that happen in our lives, God's present. In those, and the second thing is that um, we can't control those things that happen in our lives, but we can control how we respond to those things that happen in our lives, to those moments. And I want to draw our attention particularly to Peter's response to what Jesus says, and then to Jesus's own call to what Jesus says. The shift happens right in verse 21, and it says, "From that time," and that might be a, you just kind of read over that and whoop, off we go. But uh, it marks a shift in the narrative for Jesus. Jesus so far has been ministering in Galilee in Matthew's gospel, preaching and teaching and healing people and meeting with people. And verse 21 marks the conclusion of that public ministry. And Jesus now shifts his attention to Jerusalem. He, he, uh, he, it's like he's turning his face now. And, and sometimes we read about his face is set towards Jerusalem, and he's set towards the cross. There's a shift from the public ministry now towards the passion. And uh, lots of things start to change once that happens. Jesus starts predicting his own death and his suffering and the crucifixion and his resurrection. And often, the disciples don't know what to make of that. And we read about that this morning, um, that Jesus predicts his arrest and, and the crucifixion, so it's not only a shift towards Jerusalem, this is a shift that's going to, going to invoke an even greater shift in his life, the, the primary reason for his coming. And I was thinking that that relates to real life in so many ways that, that again, we, we have to respond to the shifts that come in our lives. And how do we do that? How do we do that? So they talk about going to Jerusalem, and that's, that's not interpreted as good news. Um, it means that Jesus is going to be self-giving, and he's going to have to bear the cross. 
And we'll talk a little more about those two things when we get to verses 24 to 28. Jesus' call to us to be self-giving and to cross-bearing. That's the Jesus-centered way of responding to those shifts in our lives. But the first way of responding to those changes is Peter. Of course, Peter jumps in in verse 22, right after it's been said. And uh, Peter's response to this shift in Jesus and in the ministry and in their lives is quite telling. And Jesus really nails him. This is a, a fairly... Uh, memorable moment. I'm sure you've heard, I, I mean, I think I've preached on it before as well. But look again at Peter's response at verse 22. Jesus says that he's going to suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests. He's going to be killed and he's going to be raised. And verse 22, Peter takes him aside, like, right? He pulls him away from everybody. He's like, Jesus, I got to talk to you. And he starts, it says, rebuking him in the ESV. He starts telling Jesus, uh, no, wrong. You don't get to say that. Don't like that, Jesus. Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. Now, in this particular context, it's worth remembering, of course, that Peter and Jesus, like they're not just friends. They are friends. But they have a a specific master-student relationship. Jesus is a rabbi. He's invited Peter to be a disciple and to follow him. And we're in first century Jewish culture. That was not an uncommon thing to do. But for Peter to pull him aside and to rebuke him is, would be really quite preposterous. This is really brazen, really bold, very Peter, uh, very in character for him, uh, for Peter to not just rebuke his master, but to try to correct him and say, no, Jesus, you're wrong. Um, and Peter, like most Jews, they don't have this idea that the Messiah is supposed to die. Even though that's in their their prophetic literature, and that's part of the hope that we see throughout Old Testament texts, it wasn't something that had kind of taken root in their minds that, yes, God is going to come and die for us. They don't have that kind of in their thinking. Um, You have moments of someone coming and suffering, but it hasn't quite solidified in this sense in, in which Jesus is going to do it. You have parts like in Isaiah, right, which talk about a suffering servant to come. We often read this passage around Easter or around Christmas, uh, the one who had no form or majesty or beauty, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with suffering and grief, right? This is Isaiah's depiction of the suffering servant, that he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. And uh, the Lord has laid on him the, the iniquity of us all, that passage from Isaiah. So Isaiah has this idea of someone who's a suffering servant and his suffering is, is an atoning sacrifice for sins, that God lays on the suffering servant the punishment of sin, the iniquity of us all rests upon this one. And he bears that guilt and punishment for all of human sin. And so uh, Peter obviously does not have that in his mind. And he hasn't put together that Jesus is Isaiah's suffering servant either. All he hears is Jesus say, I'm going to go die. And he says, no, I'm not into that, Jesus. This is not what we signed up for. And in Peter's resisting, it's interesting because Jesus sees it as Satan's attempt to hinder his mission. And it's not that Satan is like possessing Peter or something, right? But Peter has to change his like human-centered idea about Jesus' mission. Peter has to let Jesus shape what it means to follow God. Peter has to let Jesus shape his imagination of what it means 
to follow God. And guys, that's true in our lives as well. We need Jesus to show us what it means to be followers of God. That our discipleship is not what we make it out to be, but what Jesus calls us to. So Peter has an idea of what following Jesus looks like. And it is blatantly satanic. As Peter, who like knows Jesus pretty good. Peter has to be open to letting Jesus shape what following Jesus looks like. And that way of being a disciple, in the end, will be about faithful obedience to the Father. That's what Jesus is going to do. And so the Messiah will bring his victory, and he'll bring the redemption of Israel, as Isaiah would talk about. And he's going to bring that through his suffering and death. And that is something that Satan is not into. That Satan does not want to happen. Uh, sometimes we think of the cross as Satan winning. The cross is not Satan winning. The cross is, is Satan's defeat. The cross is not an issue between God and Satan. The cross is an issue between the Father and the Son. The cross, the G, Satan's already defeated back in the desert wilderness stuff. And so any hindrance to Jesus going forward in the mission is, is naturally anti-Christian, right? It's, it's satanic to some degree. Look at what Jesus says when he says, get behind me, Satan, you're a hindrance to me. It's almost like Satan is just kind of a frustrating side character, right? Like, just get out of here. You've set your mind on things. You're not setting your mind on things of God, but on the things of man. And I wonder in my own life, and perhaps in your life as well, we can often respond to like a gut reaction of something in our lives, right? Like something happens, one of these shifts happen in our lives, and our gut reaction is like, no. Jesus, I do not want to do this. This is not what following you is supposed to look like. I don't like it. No. But Jesus invites Peter into a deeper understanding of what's going on. And he gives Peter some clear instruction about what will happen. Peter resists it. And I wonder, even in my own life, in our own lives, how often we really are open to Jesus leading and guiding us. And how often we actually resist him, thinking we know better. So much so that I'm not saying there can't be a struggle in learning to follow Jesus. Peter has a struggle here of letting go of some stuff. But my prayer is that we would learn to say, yes, Lord, and then bring our questions to him about how that's supposed to look rather than just, you know, forcefully resisting him, right? Instead of just saying, no, Jesus, I don't want that at all, to say, Jesus, I don't know how that works. I'm confused about it. I don't know what to make of this news in my life. But I know I can come to you with my questions, and I can come to you with my confusion and my brokenness. And that's a better posture than just saying no to you. It's a call to humility, right? That Peter does not have Jesus figured out. And often we don't either. Jesus does stuff that surprises us, and that throws us off guard. So how do we respond to these sorts of big moments in our lives where God calls us into something that we just don't know what to do with. We can respond like Peter and just say, no, Jesus, you're wrong, right? Or we can try to humbly, willingly give ourselves to Jesus and let him show us what discipleship looks like. 
And that's what happens. Jesus starts to explain that his going to the cross is a picture of our own laying down of our lives too. And that's what verses 24 to 28 are about. I said we talk about this uh, at the beginning of the sermon, about self-giving and cross-bearing. But this is, rather than Peter's sort of self-centered response, this is the Jesus-centered response to things in our lives. Two actions of discipleship. Look again at verse 24. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Both of those, the self-giving, that's the denying of yourself, and the cross-bearing are about letting God be God in our lives. About letting Jesus be the Lord of our life. And look at what Jesus says after that in terms of sort of explaining what that means. Verse 25, he says, Whatever, Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's, it's almost a sense of like if we reject, if we reject God and God's will and pursue our own will, we will eventually lose whatever earthly good we pursued. It may seem like it was kind of fun in the meantime, but at the end of your life, that's not going to matter, right? When our lives end and eternity arrives, the question is what or whom did you pursue? And if it was just stuff, you're going to be disappointed. And verse 26 asks the same sort of thing. Right? You can make your life about acquiring money or status or having experiences or pleasure or power. You can make your life about all of that stuff, but none of that will matter if you forfeit your soul and you experience spiritual death and separation from God. It's not going to matter. I think of, of Paul's own experience in Philippians 3. Paul thinks back on his life. And Paul's lived a life. Like, he's a pretty good guy, right? He, he talks about, I'm from Israel. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm like the most Hebrew of Hebrew guys. I'm well-educated. I'm a Pharisee. Like, I've got my badge of being super religious. I'm like, I've been here for a long time, right? I am the dude. And at the end of all that, he says, you know, I count that all rubbish compared to knowing Jesus. And it's not that that stuff was bad. It's not that being an Israelite or being from Benjamin or being educated or being a Pharisee was necessarily bad. It's just they so pale in comparison to following Jesus. But at the end of the day, that stuff is not what defines me. What defines me is, is knowing him and him crucified and participating in his sufferings. This, Paul says, is well worth it compared to all the stuff and the status and the glory that I had before I knew Jesus. He says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And in the same way, Jesus says, we can pursue a lot of stuff in our lives. But when it comes to the end of the day, what's your life going to be shaped around? Who are you really going to follow? What shall a man give in return for his soul? He says in verse 26. And then he says, not just in your present life, but think about it for eternity. Look at verse 27. Jesus says, I'll return in the glory of the Father, 
And when I do, I'll repay each person according for what he has done. Judgment for those who have chosen to follow their own will, those who have rejected God, and reward for those who have taken up the cross and followed him, essentially. Those who have received Christ. And that's a bit, that's a bit of a hard saying. Because um, it's not always nice to hear that uh, there will be a final sort of account of how you live your life. But there will. And Jesus says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a look at how we did. And who you followed at the end of the day. So it's a tough saying. He's just rebuked Peter, and then he calls them essentially, like, we wear crosses as jewelry, right? It's like wearing an electric chair. It's a torture device. It's one of the worst ways to die. So when he says, take up your cross, he's saying, come die with me. And if you're following Jesus this morning, you need to hear that. That means that your life will have a measure of laying down, of self-giving, of sacrifice. It will not be easy, but it will be good. So what are some of the implications for us? How do we navigate these things in our lives? Again, to remember that when these moments come where we are finding ourselves having a talk with Jesus, Jesus, I don't know what you're doing here. I don't know if I like it. I feel like being like Peter and just saying no to this. We can remember God is always at work in these moments. And we can control how we respond. Peter shows us one way to take. It's the way we often take. The no, no God, no thank you. Life was fine and comfortable. Go away, right? Jesus says, I'll show you another way. It's the way that says, I'll obey the Father even if that means laying my life down. And those two things, the denying himself and the taking up the cross, I want to take a moment just to talk about those because self-denial can sound, we can kind of imagine a meaning to that. That that can mean like Christians have really dull lives. You know, like we're not allowed to have fun. We can't have cheesecake for dessert. Like we just, it's just the worst, Right? It's sunny out. I can't go out. I need to just sit in the, you know, sit in the dark. And, and I, I, can't have, I can't have fun. And I can't, you know, like it's just the worst, right? And, and that's, that's just, that's not, it's not drudgery. It's not, like, it's not like following Jesus will mean it's terrible, right? That's not, that's not what it means. That's just this boring, sad life. Because Jesus calls us to abundant life. And Jesus calls us to joy. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. That joy marks our lives. A deep-seated joy. That's not based on our circumstances, but based on knowing who we are in Christ. So what do we deny then if it's not, if it's not like good stuff? But what do we deny? We deny the temptation to be our own gods. That's what Peter tries to do. He tries to tell God what to do. And that's satanic. And we have the temptation often to tell God what to do. Self-denial is about saying... I'm going to lay that down. I'm not going to be the God of my own life. And that's tough. Being the God of your own life is what taking the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil is about, by the way. Because it's saying, I know better than God what to do with my life. I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do it anyway. 
And it's saying, I'll define good and evil for myself. Thank you. What does Satan say in that moment? You will be like God. They're already like God, made in his image. And he twists it to make them think, now we can decide for ourselves what's right or wrong. And we do that every day. Try to tell ourselves what's right and wrong. So self-denial is about, about giving up, re resisting the temptation to tell God how to be God. And that's, why, that's why Jesus can tell Peter, get behind me, Satan. This is Satan work where you try to tell God how to be God. I mean, he just says in the previous bit, Peter, you just confessed who I am. On this rock, I'll build my church. Well, it's not on Peter. It's on the confession of who God is. Because in the next moment, Peter's just a mess. He's being satanic, right? So it's not about the Pope. It's about the confession of faith. And Peter's a messed up guy. And so are we. Self-denial is about giving up a desire to, to be our own gods and resisting the forces in our culture which tell us to buy into that, whether it's with symbolic articles of status or finding pleasure in certain things. We deny the temptation to be our gods. And so self-denial is not about a sad life with no joy. It's about my allegiance not being ultimately to my desires, but about my allegiance being to God. And that's what baptism is, by the way. Your baptism is a shift of allegiance from yourself to Jesus. So whenever we baptize people, we commit treason. Because we're saying my ultimate, my ultimate uh, allegiance is no longer to Canada. It's Jesus. And if it comes down to one or the other, guess who wins? Jesus wins. Ah, whenever we commit treason, it's potentially criminal. Going down, doing the old lake dunk. That's what it's about. So you're saying no to the empire. The other Christians know that. Right? That's what denying ourselves is. It's about saying, who do I ultimately live for? But the cross-bearing bit is perhaps the more difficult thing. Because cross-bearing, we can think cross-bearing is just like, Anytime something remotely kind of unfortunate happens, I'm bearing my cross. Like, I didn't get a parking spot. It is my cross to bear. It's like, really? You really think, God, I'm sorry you had to walk an extra 20 feet? Maybe you needed to. I don't know. I probably could use walking an extra 20 feet. This is not my cross to bear, right? And again, that, that idea of crucifixion, it's a shocking metaphor for what following Jesus is about. And it means learning to die. It means bearing the instrument of your death with you. For Jesus, taking up the cross means embracing, embracing God's will no matter the cost. And that's what it means for us too. So it, it, may be, it may not be appropriate to say, like, this thing over here is my cross to bear. Like, I don't know. Or this thing is your cross to bear. This, like, frustrating relationship is your cross to bear. Probably not. <laughs> it's probably just a frustrating relationship, you know. Um, but what it means is that there's an invitation from Jesus to embrace the Father's will and to have that same attitude of willingness 
in how we live our lives. The invitation to embrace the cross is, is this reminder that our lives are lived for the sake of others. And just as Jesus' life was a self-giving life, so as his disciples, our lives are to be self-giving. And cross-bearing also suggests that suffering and disappointment will show up in your life. If you follow a Lord who was called the man of sorrows, by the way, well acquainted with suffering and grief. And that's why this morning, if you're grieving, Jesus is a good person to come to. Because he gets it. Cross-bearing means difficulty is part of the discipleship journey. It means, it means we shouldn't be blindsided when pain or disappointment or failure comes our way. And the cross is ultimately a call to sacrifice as well. Each of us is, is called by God and invited into a way and a life that means letting go of some things, maybe some good things, for the greater good of pursuing him. And some of you have maybe done that. You've given up on good jobs or certain relationships or certain experiences because it, it paled in comparison to following Jesus. Just like Paul said. Why would anyone bother taking up a cross there? This just sounds awful, right? Well, Hebrews 12 tells us Jesus endured the cross. Why would he bother? Because of the joy that was set before him. That for Jesus, the cross itself is not joyful, right? But the cross is this reminder that, that there's a bigger picture. The pain of the cross, the, the press of the cross for Jesus is worth it. Because in the end, true life would be given to others. And so this momentary affliction was worth it in the greater picture of what God's redemption looked like. And that's true for us as well. Sometimes the momentary hurt that happens as we follow Jesus, it really hurts. But in the bigger picture of our lives and what God wants to do in your life, there's joy that is set before you on the other end. Jesus asked us to be part of carrying the cross because in some ways the church is called to carry the pain of the world as a self-giving witness of who God is. So as disciples, wherever we go, we bring the cross. We bring the cross with us. And this probably is the most, the most uh, kind of practical element of what Jesus calls Peter to and calls us to this morning is that wherever you go, you do indeed bring the cross with you. And, and I want you to think about that really practically for a second. Whatever your workplace is, or maybe your school, or your home, you go, if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, you go bringing the cross with you into that place. And that means if you're a pilot, you bear that cross into the cockpit. Right? If you're a doctor, you bear the cross with you as you go on rounds, or as you're in the operating room. If you're a mom, maybe, or you're a dad, and you're staying at home, you bear that cross as you make those grilled cheese sandwiches and put them on the kitchen table and pick up mess. Try not to let the one-year-old eat the thing on the floor that he's not supposed to. If you're a trades worker, you bear that cross with you as you go into that site. All right, if, you're, if you work in the bush or you work in a mine or you're you're involved in some kind of physical labor, you bear the cross with you as you go into that place. 
you're a student, you bear the cross with you as you head into that classroom. And what that means is that we bear the gospel with us. We carry, in some measure, the pain of the world with us, just like Jesus did. And we do that so we can proclaim and remember that we followed a crucified and risen Lord. And he's present right here in this place, too. That my Sunday morning life is not separate from my Monday morning life. But the God who meets me here in this place goes with me on mission into the workplace and into the school to the bedside of the person I'm trying to care for. And in that way of following Jesus, yes, there will be difficulty and there will be disappointment. You know, to insist that there won't be difficulty and disappointment is satanic. That's what the Bible says. As soon as Peter says, Jesus, you can't go die, he's, that's, no. Peter, you missed it. Be really careful, guys, what prosperity preachers you listen to. And there's lots out there. If it doesn't include some measure of cross-bearing, it's probably not authentic gospel. We bear that cross looking ahead to what God will do, knowing that our deepest longing in life is not a life of ease. Our deepest longing as disciples is deeper union. And that's what he calls us to. Think of 2 Timothy, and I want to end with this verse. Paul tells Timothy that Timothy will share in suffering like a good soldier in Christ Jesus. Well, that encouraging. It is share in suffering. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate that. Timothy needs the reminder that the suffering he was experiencing in church, as a Christian, as a pastor, that that suffering was not strange. It was a call to walk the way of the cross with courage and with grace and with patience. And my prayer this morning is that for each of you, whatever's going on in your life, and I know there's all sorts of things, every one of us has different stuff we're going through, that you would also bear your cross knowing that Jesus is with you in the middle of your pain and in your suffering as well. That entering into that does not mean you're far from God. In fact, you're participating in the same sort of suffering that Jesus did. And he calls us into that because there's a deeper joy in life that he is working through as we walk and follow him. So I'm going to invite us to pray to that end and ask that uh, we, would, we would respond in a Jesus-centered way to these moments in our lives. It's easy to be like Peter, isn't it? To say, no, Jesus, I don't want that. Jesus says, no, deny yourself. Don't be your own God. Take up the cross. Follow me. Lord, this morning, uh, so, so often, our response to following you is to be like Peter and say, nope, don't want to do that. Thank you. Lord, I thank you that you invite us into relationship with you, and there's room to ask those questions, and there's room to say, God, this is hard. There's room to say, Jesus, I don't understand what that means. I don't understand why you'd let this happen. I don't understand how to move forward in this. Lord, I thank you that you make that room for us, for doubt and for confusion and, and for impatience and for really missing it, just like Peter. Lord, you also call us to move from that place into a deeper, a deeper life with you. 
And Lord, this word this morning is difficult. The call to lay down our lives is hard. We naturally have a desire to, to survive and to sustain our lives. And we often hear from a culture around us how to do that. But Lord, your word says that that stuff won't ultimately satisfy our hearts. And at the end of the day, we're called to follow you. And that following you is full of joy and life and love, but it also will include a measure of suffering. And so Lord, I pray for each of us this morning. All of us have encountered suffering in some way in our lives, and if we haven't yet, we will. Lord, I thank you that when we go through those difficulties, that you're present with us, that you've gone before us, that you've borne our sins and our sorrows, that you're well acquainted with suffering and grief. And so in the midst of the brokenness that we experience, because we live in a broken world, that we disappoint ourselves and we are disappointed often in others, we don't know what to do, we thank you that you are with us in those and we thank you that you still call people like Peter who totally don't get it to still follow you. And that means none of us are disqualified. Peter's the biggest screw up. Lord, you still invite each and every one of us, regardless of our past and all of our stuff, to still choose to follow you. And so this morning, Lord, we just pray that as we would head into this week ahead, um, that we would bear that cross with us knowing that we bring your gospel and the goodness of who you are to bear into our workplaces as we make decisions and as we talk with people, as we seek to follow you. Lord, would you give us grace to lay down what you call us to lay down and to take up what you call us to take up. And we pray by the power of your spirit you would help us to do that. Lord, I thank you for our church, and I pray that you would continue to move and to bless and to keep, that you would cultivate uh, unity and life where there is hurt and brokenness, that you would bring your grace and your peace to bear, uh, your restoration, Lord, and uh, continue to, to point us, Lord, in the direction of following you and taking up our cross. Lord, as we pray for our city and our leaders, we pray for the different ones that will cross our paths. We ask that you would move and guide our thoughts and actions, that we would serve and honor you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Why don't you stand? I'd love to speak benediction over you before you go. Children of God who are loved and forgiven through our Lord Jesus Christ. May you hear Jesus' call in your life to lay down some things and to take up others and to rest and walk in Him who goes before us. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Spirit be with you all. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord. If you would like prayer, we'd love to pray with you up here. Uh, otherwise, bless you and have a great week. We love you.